Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, good morning, good morning, everyone. Invite you to open your Bibles this morning to Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11. We're going to be looking at verses 27 through 33 this morning. Mark 11, 27 through 33. If you're new with us this morning or you're tuning in online, uh, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark section by section by section each week, uh, looking at what God's Word has to say to us today. So Mark 11, 27 through 33. Before I start the message, I have a very important, 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 important question to ask you. Uh, how many of you uh, put up your Christmas tree already? How many of you put it up? Come on, come on, come on. Show hands. All right. Guys, we got to respect the turkey. Let's re- Let's respect the turkey a little bit. Come on, guys. I'm just kidding, man. We, we loved putting our, our uh, Christmas tree up really, really early. How many of you started playing Christmas songs already? Come on. That's, I'm ready for Christmas. I'm ready for Christmas. You can never do it too early. You just can't. And, and the first song that we play in our household is the Mariah Carey, All I, All I Want for Christmas is You. It's just, it's a classic. It's a classic. I don't sing it, though, but I just play it. I just play it. Uh, but uh, super excited about the Christmas Eve service, um, 4 o'clock here at Restoration. It's going to be great. Uh, more info to come on that, but we're super excited for, for Christmas and all the things that are going on at our church this holiday season. So again, Mark 11, 27 through 33, the title of the message for today is Why People Reject Jesus. Why People Reject Jesus. Let me catch you up to speed a little bit, give you some context. Uh, remember, Sunday... Jesus rides in on a colt into Jerusalem. He checks out what's going on in the temple. He doesn't like what he sees. He goes back to Bethany, about two miles away from Jerusalem, comes up with his plan, goes back the next day on Monday, curses the fig tree, which represents unfruitful Israel, uh, curses the temple, which happens in A.D. 70. Then he goes into the temple, he turns over tables, he cleanses the temple, and then he goes back to Bethany, and then he returns again for round two, uh, which we talked about last week as Jesus used the, ob- the uh, fig tree as an object lesson for prayer. And so it's still Tuesday. Like we're st- it's the last week of Jesus' life. It's still Tuesday. And we're, we're, what we're going to see over the course of this, these couple weeks uh, is Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders. There's going to be, Tuesday is filled with conflict with the religious leaders of the day. And so let's go ahead and read the word of God today together. It says this. Verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. And they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you authority to do them? Who gave you this this authority? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven... He will say, why did you not believe? Uh, But if we say from man, they were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. 
So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Let's pray. God, we love you. We love your word. We submit to your word. We submit to your authority. We submit to who you are in our lives. Spirit, I pray that you would work in us today, that you would um, edify us, that you would let your word shine forth into our hearts, into our minds, into our souls, so that we can become more and more like you. Help us, Jesus, become the light of the world in such a dark, dark, dark time. Help us be people of faith, people who love you, people who are passionate about you. And Jesus, we pray that you would just lead us and guide us today in the study of your word. We love your word. We honor your word. And we stand and submit under the truth of scripture. God, we love you. We commit our hearts and our minds to you today for this very hour. And all the God's people said, amen, amen. As I titled the message today, Why People Reject Jesus. I really thought about my own life uh, before I came to Christ. Like, why did I reject Jesus before I was saved, before God drew me in? And the truth is that I rejected Jesus because I liked my life. Uh, I liked my life. I, I liked the things that I was doing. I was living apart from Christ. I was in the party scene. I was doing all kinds of things that I shouldn't be doing. And, but I liked it. Uh, sin was fun, otherwise nobody would do it, right? I mean, sin, it was fun. I was having a great, great time, and I just liked my life. I didn't want to change it. I wanted to be partying. I wanted to be, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. You know what comes with partying, and, um, and so, like, I was just living completely uh, apart from God, but I liked my life. I loved it, and I wanted, I knew that if I came to Jesus, I was going to have to give up some things in my life, and I wasn't ready to give those things up. I wasn't ready to make that change in my life. And I don't know about you, maybe you could relate. If you are a believer here this morning or if you're watching us online, what were some of the reasons that you might, might have rejected Jesus before you came to him? You know, maybe you can relate to me. Maybe you were in the party scene and, and you were living completely apart from God and, uh, and you just didn't want to change your life. You knew just like I did that, that if you came to Jesus, there was going to be some changes that you were going to have to make and you just really weren't a, willing to do those changes. Maybe for some of you, uh, it was just more of like, hey, I'm, I'm good. Like, I'm a good person. Like, why would I need Jesus if I'm a good person? Like, I don't kill anybody. I don't steal. I'm not like doing all kinds of stuff. I'm a, I'm a good person. Why would I need Jesus in my life? Maybe for some of you, um, it's social rejection. Like if I come to Jesus, then my family's going to reject me. Then my friends are going to reject me. Then my coworkers are going to reject me. For whatever reason, there was just a lot of pressure of pleasing people over pleasing God. And maybe you kind of rejected Jesus because, hey, there's going to be some consequences when we follow after Jesus, uh, maybe for some of you, you just felt like you, there's no need in your life. I, I don't need Jesus. I mean, I'm healthy. I got a great job, a great career, or whatever it is. And you're just like, I don't really need him in my life. And so I think going back to, if you remember in Mark chapter 4, when we talked about the soils. Remember that? The, the soils where the seed is cast. And it talked about different soils. It really reminds me of ways that 
How do we reject Jesus or rebel from Jesus or we let the enemy come steal God away from us or steal the word away from us? If you remember uh, the path, right, just if the seed's sown on the path, what happens? Uh, the Satan just comes and takes the seed, the word of God, the gospel from our lives. Like, think about it. Uh, you know, we're excited about Jesus for one minute. And next thing you know, like, uh, you know, the enemy just steals the word that was sown into our hearts just like that. And so we never come to Christ. Maybe the rocky ground, right? Like, hey, I'm super passionate about Jesus. I'm all in. Uh, but then the rocky ground stands for uh, persecution or opposition, when we, when we face persecution or opposition, that seed that was sown doesn't really make it into good soil. Why? Because then we give in to that persecution, that opposition, and we just reject Christ. And lastly, the thorns, right? Uh, the cares of the world, the desire for earthly things override our desire for spiritual and heavenly things over godly things. And so then we reject Jesus. And so there's so many reasons why we reject Christ, especially before we came to him and before God drew us in. And so today, we're going to see three reasons why people reject Christ. And I honestly believe that they're the three most common reasons that I've seen as a pastor in, uh, over my lifetime. The three most common, and they're very powerful to break. And I'm also going to, uh, as, as, as believers who are here this morning, yes, we're saved at some point, we accepted Christ. He drew us in. But those, those reasons we're going to cover today still have some implications in our life still, even as believers. And so I just pray that you would see the relevancy for them in our lives today. If you don't know Jesus and, and, and you're still trying to figure who Jesus is, uh, and, and maybe you're not a believer or you're not sure, I really just pray that you would open your heart this morning uh, to see what God is going to do today, and maybe you could resonate with one of these, and maybe this is the day today that could change the course of your life and the course of, uh, of, of, of your life eternally. So, so here's the thing. I'm going to give you three reasons why people reject Jesus based off this text. Just pray that you open your heart to them, okay? Number one is this, submission. People don't like to submit to Jesus and to his authority. Verse 27 says this, and they came again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple, and the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? So Mark tells us that Jesus is walking in the temple, okay? He's walking in the temple. Now think about this for a second. Think about the authority that Jesus has. The day before Jesus was like throwing over tables. He cleansed the temple, right? Like, just think about that. He's back in the temple the next day with absolutely no fear. I mean, just walking in the temple the very next day. Like, there's no fear in him. And that just tells you what kind of authority Jesus had. And um, actually, uh, the other parallel passages, the parallel accounts in Luke and Matthew tell us that not only was Jesus walking in the temple, but that he was teaching. Matthew says that. And Luke says that he was preaching the gospel. So he goes back after cleansing the temple to teach and preach the gospel. Then the religious leaders came up to him the chief priest, the scribes, and the elders. And so these three groups um, made up a very powerful form of Jewish government called the Sanhedrin, made of 70 men. 
And they had a lot of religious power, and they had a lot of political power. And so these seven men came up to Jesus to ask him a question. Now, the day before, when Jesus was cleansing the temple, the text tells us that they wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to destroy Jesus, so they want to get rid of him. Actually, they've been trying to get rid of Jesus for a long time. Ever since Mark chapter 3, when Jesus healed, healed a man with a withered hand, they've been trying to get rid of him since then. Uh, so for a long time now, they just want to kill him. They want to destroy him. But they ask a question, a very interesting question. They come up to Jesus and they say, by what authority are you doing these things? Or who gave you this authority to do them? Now, the word here for authority means this, the right to control or command, or to have absolute power. In other words, like, he's in charge. He's in control. He has the ultimate power, ultimate authority. Jesus has the ultimate uh, command over all of his creation. But they're asking him, by what, you know, what authority are you doing these things? Or, you know, uh, essentially they're asking, like, who gave you the right? And why do you think you have the right to come into the temple and start cleansing it? Who gave you the right to wreak havoc in the temple? Who gave you the right to, uh, uh, to, to kick people out? Like, who do you think you are? That's what they're telling Jesus. Who do you think you are? Like, what are your credentials? Like, show, like what, what are your credentials? Where did you go to school at? Where, where did you go to seminary at? Like, where did you get your rabbinic training? They're just like... Man, just the arrogance and the pride that these religious leaders have. And essentially, they're also saying, do you know who we are? Like, do you know who we are? We're the Sanhedrin, man. We have power. Seventy guys have power. And you think you could just come in here and start overthrowing stuff? What kind of authority do you think you have? Now, here's what they're doing. Here's what they're doing. They're trying to trap Jesus. They're trying to trap him. And, and here's, here's how they're trying to trap him. If Jesus says uh, that he's coming in his own authority, in his own human authority, right? If he says that, then Jesus is going to lose people. Because up to this point, people love Jesus, right? Triumphal entry, so far they don't want to kill him. They're not crying crucify him yet. So far they love Jesus. They're following Jesus. They think he's the Messiah. But if he says that he comes in his own power and in human power then he's going to lose a lot of people. But if he says that he comes in God's authority, in heavenly authority, then he just committed blasphemy and they're going to kill him. So Jesus is in a lose-lose situation here. And here's the thing. Jesus' authority up to this point has been a big topic in the gospel of Mark. I mean, we've seen Jesus' authority over demons, over disease, over death, over nature. We've seen his authority. So the question is not whether Jesus has authority. The question is whether the religious leaders, the prideful, arrogant religious leaders, are going to submit their lives under the authority of Jesus. That's the big, big question. Will they submit to authority? I don't know about you, but um, when I was younger, I had... A problem submitting to authority. Anybody else when they were younger had problems submitting? 
Oh, I'm just, I'm the only one. That is a lie. That is such a lie. No way. Okay, Travis, Travis, me and Travis, okay. For everybody that's watching, Lazarus, me, Lazarus, and Travis, authority, problems. Okay, anyway, when I was in the fourth grade, I mean, that's how, that's where it started, fourth grade. When I was in the fourth grade, uh, God bless his heart. Mr. Espinoza, my fourth grade math teacher. Oh, man. Uh, so I re- God sent me to test him. That's what happened. Um, but, but I remember this one time my parents went into a parent-teacher conference. And just so you know, whenever I got a letter for parent-teacher conference, I knew it was going to be bad. So I was like, my anxiety was going and stuff. So they went to Mr. Espinoza's class, that parent-teacher conference, Okay. And uh, my parents were talking to him, and I was sitting there, and he looks at my parents, and he says, your son thinks he's funny, which I really, I was pretty funny. I was super funny. Your son thinks he's funny. He's a class clown, and he doesn't respect me. And your son, he's looking at my parents, your son needs to get his butt kicked. But he didn't use butt. He used, like, another word. But he really used it. And uh, my mom and my dad said, yes, he does. Yes, he does. And, man, I'm telling you, I got a good old-fashioned whooping when I got home. And it didn't help. It didn't help right away. At least it didn't. But over the years, over God help my mom, my dad, and my teachers. But over the years, as I became a junior higher, as I became a high school, I just started maturing a little bit. And I started realizing that, man, like, I'm just a jerk to my teachers, and I needed to mature a little bit, and so I finally, over time, had some respect for authority and for my parents and for teachers and for those around me, and so I had to grow in maturity. And so, church, let me just say this, that a mark of a true believer, a mark, a characteristic of a mature believer in Christ is submitting to authority and the authority of Christ in our lives. It's a mature believer who submits under the authority of God, where we give him control of our life, where he's the ultimate authority over our life. It's not what we want. It's what he wants. It's not our will, but it's his will. And so we submit under him. How do we submit under him? How does that work? Let me make it very simple because we, like try, we, we try to complicate things in the Christian world. We submit to the Son of God by submitting to the Word of God. We submit to the Son of God by submitting to the Word of God. It's so simple. It is. God, what do you want for my life? Tell me. Like, we're always waiting for God to speak to us, like, audibly, you know, or something to tell us what he wants for our lives or, or to submit. To, no, he speaks to us here through his word. He tells us what he wants from us. He tells us, like, how we can please him. He tells us what sin is. He tells us. And so a lot of the times, because if, if we're not in his word, how can we submit to him? How can we submit to his authority if we don't even know what he asks of us? You see how simple that is. We we just complicate it. We must submit 
under the authority of God. Why? Why should we submit under the authority of God? I love this verse here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves. Humble yourselves. Therefore, under, right? Submit yourself under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. Why do we submit? Why do we submit? Ultimately, in the age to come, okay, this verse here about, you know, us submitting to God uh, and then he, and in the proper time, he's going to exalt us, doesn't mean in this life. It doesn't mean, God, we're not guaranteed that God is going to exalt us in this life, but what it does mean is if we continue to submit and surrender to God and to his authority, there will come a point in the life to come where he will vindicate us, when he will make all wrong things right, and he will have final justice in the hurt and the pain and everything that's going on in our lives. So we have, as believers, that future hope if we submit and surrender, if we persevere in our faith, continually surrendering to God and his authority, that one day he's going to make all things right in the new heaven and the new earth. Anybody hopeful and thankful for that? Okay. Now, we're not guaranteed that in this life, look at the apostles, martyr, look at John the Baptist, beheaded, We're not guaranteed it, but here's the thing. Generally speaking, when we are no longer under the authority of God and we are no longer under the control and command of God, we're outside of God's blessing. We're outside of God's protection. And boy, is that a bad place to be. It just really is. It really is. Now, here's the thing. If you're not under the authority of God right now, not saying this is true of you, but it might be an indication that you were never under the authority of God to begin with. Does that make sense? If you are currently not under the authority of God, there might be a possibility. No, no, you didn't lose your salvation. There's no such thing as that. It means that you were never in Christ to begin with. Paul says, examine your life. Paul says, examine to see, test to see if you are in the faith. How do we test? One of the things, am I sitting under the authority of Christ? Am I sitting under the authority of the Son of God by submitting to the Word of God? Believer, I encourage you to examine yourself. We don't submit just once when we're saved. We submit every single day. Uh, The mark of a true believer is submission for all of our life, not just when we're saved. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. Unbeliever, again, I I don't know where you're at, but I want to talk to you. Don't let pride, like the religious leaders, Don't let pride get in the way of paradise. Don't let your pride of not wanting to submit under the authority of God get in the way of paradise with God now and in the life to come. Submit, surrender to him. 
The word says that if we come to him, he will not cast us away. So why do people reject Jesus? They don't want to submit to his authority. They want to be their own authority. And man, I don't know if you've done this before, but when you're your own authority, it gets really dangerous. Trust me, I know firsthand. Submit under, his, submit under God, his protection, his provision, his blessing, and the hope to come one day. Amen. Number two, denial. They deny, just denial. People just deny the evidence of who Jesus is. Verse 29, Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. He says, answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. He says, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. What is going on here? Like, what is really going on in this passage here? Let me explain it. Uh, so Jesus said, they asked Jesus this question, and I love what Jesus does. He, al- he always asks a question uh, when, they, when he gets asked a question. He responds with a question, and Jesus says, let me just ask you one question for your two questions. You ask me two questions to try to trap me? Let me ask you one question to dismantle your whole argument here. And so Jesus asked the question, was the baptism of John from heaven, meaning from God, or from man? What is Jesus doing here? Like, what is this all about? Jesus, with this very question, has just put the religious leaders in a really, really bad position, in a very serious dilemma. And so Jesus is going to begin laying out the evidence of who he is Through John the Baptist. That's what he's doing. Uh, The baptism of John really means all of his ministry. So all of John the Baptist's ministry. So here's the thought and here's the idea. Jesus asked the question because of this. If John, and here's the thing. A lot of people during that time believed that John was from God. So John the Baptist had a huge following. And he was super popular. And so people believed that he was from God. Okay? So here's the thing. If John was sent from God, right, if John really was sent from God and Jesus and John have a link, right, because John came to prepare the way of the Lord and and John baptized Jesus, so they're linked. So if John's from God, then Jesus's authority must have also come from God. So he's trying to trap them now. He's putting them in a bad situation. So Jesus is laying the evidence there again. And the evidence is plain. The evidence is clear that, yes, John is from God. And if John is from God and me and John are linked, then where do you think my authority comes from? It comes from God. It comes from God. And again, Jesus' authority is never in question. All through Mark, he's displayed his authority. Demons, death, disease, nature, he has authority. And so what do they do? They begin to discuss it with one another. They kind of huddle up, right? Jesus is like, it's like a 10-on-one, right? It's a 10-on-one. They're trying to gang up on Jesus, but they can't take him. And so they huddle up and attempt to answer the question. And so here's what they say. 
They say, well, if we say that John's from heaven, then Jesus is going to tell us, well, then why didn't we follow John if he's from heaven? But if we say that John's from man, people are going to get mad at us. We're going to lose popularity. We're going to lose our position. Like, we're going to lose prestige. And so they're debating how to answer Jesus because, I mean, whatever they answer, they're stuck. And so notice that they're not, they're not debating Jesus' authority. They're not debating his authority. They're debating how to get out of this dilemma, right? How to, how to deny and justify and rationalize the evidence that Jesus has just laid before them. They're attempting to do that. Believer, you came to faith because you believed at some point in your life, you believed the evidence. You believed that Jesus was the Son of God. You believed that Jesus was the Savior. And at some point, you believed the evidence. At some point in your life, you knew that if you repented and placed your faith in Christ, that you would be saved. Let me tell you something. Continue to believe the evidence. Continue to believe the evidence. Continue to believe the evidence that Jesus has laid out before us. Continue to believe in the evidence that, that God speaks about in his word. God speaks about two different types of evidence. He speaks about general revelation and he speaks about special revelation. General revelation is essentially evidence through God's creation. That, that all of God's creation proclaims his glory and that no one is without an excuse. That's what the scripture says, Romans chapter 1. That there's so much evidence out there that no one is without excuse. There's evidence out there. Continue to believe in that evidence, especially in a day and in a time where believers and Christians are seen as people who are not intellectual. Like, I can't believe that you actually believe that, that uh, this guy was born of a virgin. That's impossible. And, and that some God already exists all eternally. And that he created the entire world out of nothing. And you, you believe that this guy was in the belly of a whale for three days and three nights. And he got spat out. Like, you're ridiculous. There's so much evidence. And we, church, moving forward, are going to see that persecution even more. You're not intellectual. I can't believe you believe that stuff. But continue to believe in the evidence that made you come to Christ in the first place. Continue to believe in the evidence that changed your life. Continue to believe that. And here's the thing. We can't really mess with that evidence either. We can't really rationalize God's truth, church. We can't. There's truth out there. There's evidence out there. And like the religious leaders of the day, they knew Jesus' authority, but they begin to rationalize that truth. They begin to justify that truth. They begin to try to break away from that truth. Why? 
because they didn't want to submit to his authority. They, they kind of tweaked the scriptures. They kind of were uh, justifying their actions. And this is what I'm saying today. I think a lot of times that's what happens when we deny the word of God, when we deny God himself. We rationalize the truth. Do you remember in Genesis 3 in the fall when the serpent tells uh, Eve, did God really say that? Like, did God really say blank, whatever it is? I mean, surely he didn't mean that. Surely he didn't mean that. Surely he meant something else. And so we rationalize the truth. May we never rationalize the truth. May we never justify the truth when we're confronted by it. And what do the... uh, Later on, what do the religious leaders do? They said, well, we don't know. We don't know the truth. And so they claim ignorance after denying the evidence there. And lastly, fear. Fear. Why people don't come to Christ is fear. Verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he will say, why then did you not believe? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet So they answered Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority. So the religious leaders didn't want to answer Jesus because they were afraid. They were afraid. If they said, you know what, like John's from man, they're afraid. They were afraid. Actually, Luke tells us that they were afraid of getting stoned by people. That's how much people followed after John. So they were afraid of people, and so they decided just to simply say, I don't know. I don't know. We don't know. They knew, but they refused to acknowledge the kingdom, the evidence. They claimed ignorance. And here's the thing. Ignorance is not a free pass into the kingdom. It's not. We're not going to get up to the pearly gates one day and, and just say, Jesus, I'm sorry, but I didn't know. I just didn't know. Can you still let me in? No. No. Ignorance is not a free pass into the kingdom. He's, pro- he's been proclaiming through his creation. He's been proclaiming through his, his through the preachers and prophets and evangelists and all that. He's been proclaiming the gospel. What do you mean you didn't know? But that's what they said. We don't know. We don't know. Why? Because they were fearful of people. They were fearful of getting stoned. And Jesus says, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. If you don't know, if John came from heaven or from man, I'm not going to answer you either. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. Here's why. Because if they can't discern where John came from, what makes them think that they're going to discern where Jesus came from? So Jesus says, you can't even discern John, and you're the religious leaders of Israel. How are you going to discern me? I'm not going to tell you. So he doesn't answer. He doesn't answer them. The religious leaders didn't come to Christ because of fear, the fear of the people. A couple, uh, maybe like a month ago, I was out fishing by myself. Uh, I took a day just to, to relax and refresh and rejuvenate by myself. And I was up at Prescott. And I was fishing for a little bit. 
And um, it was super weird, but when I was fishing, out of the corner of my eye, I saw like a shiny, a shiny thing. And I'm like, what is that? So I kept on fishing. I kept on fishing. And uh, I kept on catching like tons and tons of fish. It's crazy. Like I caught like a, probably one like was like, um, I think it was probably like, it was, it was pretty big. But so uh, I, I caught this, uh, I caught this big fish. But um, so I saw this thing floating, this silver thing. And um, kept fishing. And then it started getting closer and closer and closer and closer. And I'm just like, what is that thing floating in the water? Uh, and it was a fish. It was a floating, just a floating, like, dead fish, like, just, like, floating in water. I'm like, what in the world is going on? Is something wrong with the water? Like, like was there, like, some kind of disease in the water? It's super weird, right? And then I'm, I just kept fishing, and the fish, like, just was going with the current, like, in front of me and just kept going. So I started fishing. And then another one. And I'm just like, what is going on? I'm like, I'm not going to take these fish home and eat them. Like, I was... I was hoping to make some fish tacos or something. Not, I'm not going to take these fish. There's something in the water. And no joke, like a third one was just floating, like just the, taken, taken by the current. Um, later on, I found out it was a guy down there who just didn't know how to fish and didn't know what he was doing. And so, like, just so you know, fish etiquette, if there's a fish and it has the hook inside his belly, you got to keep it. You can't just throw it away, like, because they die. And so these fish just floating, right, just floating and going with the current. You're like, what's the point of this? What's the point of this story? What's the... here's, here's my point. Here's my point of the story. If we go with the current of culture because we want to please people, we're as good as dead. We are. If we go with the current of culture because we want to please culture, and we want to make people happy, shut this place down. Shut it down. Believers naturally are counter-cultural. We go against the current. But for so long, Christianity has been like, if culture says it's right, then we're going to say it's right. If culture goes left, we go left. If culture goes right, we go right. Why? The fear of man. Because we want to please people. But as believers, we don't have that option. We can't please God and people at the same time. We just can't. And I think it's going to be more difficult as time goes to stand up for what is right to stand up for the convictions that we have in Scripture. And maybe some of you are already facing it today. But you're like, hey, I'm not going to ruffle any feathers. I'm not God. I'm not here to judge. I'm... I don't want to offend anyone. Jesus offended a lot of people. Jesus was offensive, not in his actions, in his method, but in his message. The message of the gospel is offensive. It's not a gospel that, and it's not a message that just simply pleases people. There's only one way, and his name is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and you cannot get to the Father except through Christ, period. 
But a lot of times, oh, it's whatever you want to believe, whatever you want to think, just want to please culture. And I get it, church. I get that pressure, trust me. If you've been with us for some time now, you've heard sermons that are very hard to preach. But I decide not to, because I'm not here to make friends. I'm not here to please people. I have one mission, it's to preach the word of God. You have one mission, it's to preach the gospel as well, alongside with me. I get that pressure. Have there, have there been times where I, I'm, I'm like, I look at a passage, even just like today, like, oh man, rejecting Jesus, that's a tough one. Where I had, I've been tempted just to make it all nice and packaged really well so that you could leave feeling good and so I can please you. And yeah, I get that. Let's not be like that floating fish. Let's not go with the current. Let's choose to please God over people every single time. Lastly, if you don't know Jesus, if you're not sitting under his authority, if you've denied the evidence, if you've justified the evidence, oh, the Bible doesn't really say that. The Bible doesn't really mean that. I got to twist up the scriptures. If you've been pleasing people more than pleasing God, I believe that Jesus today, through this passage, is doing the same thing to you as he did with the religious leaders. Answer me. Answer me. Answer me. Answer me today. Answer me. Will you submit under my authority? Answer me. Answer me. What are you going to answer? Believer, will you continue to submit to his authority? Unbeliever, will you finally submit to his authority? Cultural Christian, will you test your faith and realize you're not under him and submit to his authority? Answer me. Answer me. What will you answer today? Eternity matters today. Eternity matters now. Jesus, all authority on heaven and in earth is given to you. All authority. You have complete control over our life. You are in command. You have purchased us with your blood, and we are now under your control. We are your slaves. We submit to you, God. It's not our will, it's your will. It's not our way, it's your way. It's not our kingdom, it's your kingdom. It's not our glory, it's your glory. And we surrender to you today. We bow our knee today, because one day, every single knee will bow. And I pray and I hope everyone within this room bows their knee on this side of eternity on this side of life 
God, I pray that you, through the power of your spirit, would work in people's lives today. That through your spirit, you're saying, answer the call. Answer me, believer. Answer me, unbeliever. Answer me. God, I pray and I hope the answer that call to no longer reject you, but receive you with joy and gladness. Because one day, God, as we sit under you, as we humble ourselves under you, your word, your promises are true, that one day you will exalt us, maybe not in this life, but in the life to come. You will make all things right. You will take away all the pain, all the brokenness, all the scars, all the fear, all the depression, anxiety, sinfulness, sickness, everything. If we submit under you, if we continue to persevere under you, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.